Hello friends, another episode of the Incredible Halts podcast. This one is super exciting for me because I get to speak with photographer Dave Sanford. You might know him from the shot on iPhone campaign. He had six photos of great white sharks that showed up on billboards all across the country showing that you could take a photo on an iPhone. Um, we talk about great white sharks. We talk about grizzly bears. We talk about building a business following what you love. And he was an absolute pleasure to talk to. Now, um, he was in Canada. I am in Michigan. And so uh, some of the phone stuff gets a little garbled. I cleaned it up the best that I possibly could. And it is an amazing talk and time with Dave Sanford that I hope you enjoy. There are aspects of my personality that I can't control. Don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The Incredible Halt Podcast. Now might be a really good time for me to get angry. That's my secret. I'm always angry. Raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars. But we won't. The Incredible Hulk. Besides, nobody's getting hurt. Podcast. Maybe if I can control it, I can use it. Hear the music. So how are you, dude? I'm good. It's been hot for uh, almost two weeks now, I guess, now. Around there, so starting to get back to normal. And so how often... Are you, like, how many trips do you normally do a year? Like, how many of these Alaskan trips or Australian trips are you out doing, or does it depend on the jobs that you get hired for? Yeah, just, you know, I mean, it could be a week. It could be, you know, sometimes I've been gone for up to three months. So it varies a bit. And so if we can, let's go all the way back to before this is the thing that you do. Is there a moment that you remember either picking up a camera or seeing a photograph and you're like, that's, that's the thing I want to do. I, obviously you, you start doing professional sports photography and end up here, but can you remember the moment where you're like, that's what I want to start doing? Yeah, I, I, I was about nine years old and, um, I, you know, I'd always been interested in wildlife and, and nature. It was always one of my favorite things. And when I was nine, I said to my dad that, I wanted to be a hunter and his response to me was why do you want to shoot an animal with a gun when you can shoot an animal with a camera and the animal doesn't have to die, doesn't get hurt and you've got, maybe got a cool picture you can show your friends and if you really want to say, well, this is how close I was, I could have shot the animal, you know? <laughs> right. Um, that was his mentality to a nine-year-old because back then it was sort of like, you know, being an outdoorsman or part of the outdoors was, was fishing and hunting. It, you know, it wasn't as much conservation as it is today. So, you know, as a nine-year-old, like I said, it was, for me, it was like, okay, I want to be a hunter. So uh, a couple of weeks later, my dad was in a golf tournament and he won a Pentax camera, which he uh, passed on to me. And that was the, uh, the beginning of the end, I guess. <laughs> um, I, I knew what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I, I started taking photographs uh, up at the cottage in the summers and at home. You know, I, I, we had a, a forest and ravine near our place that I would go to to, to try and find whatever animals and, and whatnot that I could photograph. And, um, you know, so I, I've, I've actually had imagery published. Um, in recent years that I've shot as early as the age of 12. Oh, wow. um, so, so I, I was into it at a pretty young age and then 
you know, and, and as I got into my teen years, you know, I was heavily involved with sports my entire life and, you know, photograph a lot more sports as well. And then, um, and then, yeah, I, when I, it came time to go to school, I, I took photography. And, um, but I sort of at that time was channeling myself more in the direction of sports photography. And so, you know, in, in your own words on your website, so I'm, I'm going to kind of fill in the gaps for people who don't know kind of your backstory, Dave, you, you ostensibly get this itch. You're at the peak of your career doing photos for the NHL and the NBA and the Olympics and all of that stuff. Um, and then you get this itch and you get a chance to head to Australia in 2016 or 15 was the first one, right? Yep. Yep. And so, you know, talk to me about like the nexus of that trip. And, and I really do think for people who aren't as nerdy about sharks as you and I are, um, the reason it doesn't kind of pan out is fascinating to me. <laughs> um, so yeah, back in, in 2015, like, I mean, I, you know, as I say, my love of wildlife and wildlife photography started at a super young age and I never stopped doing nature photography. It was something that I always have done uh, my entire life. It, it was just that when I was in my 20s and 30s, um, nobody was paying me for that. Right. <laughs> it was, you know, it was sort of my, my hobby, I guess you would say. You know, if I wasn't shooting uh, pro sports, then you'd always find me, uh, you know, in the outdoors photographing some type of nature. Um, and then uh, basically the story behind the, the, the slow transition, I guess, was um, back in 2004 and before yeah, 05, um, there was an NHL lockout, and all my eggs were in one basket at that point in time. I worked for the National Hockey League, and that was it. So when there wasn't a work for an entire year, um, that was actually uh, kind of a, a double-edged sword type of a year for me, because I also had a, a major operation, which put kind of work for quite some time, and um, anyhow, it when I started to realize, like, okay, all my eggs are in one basket, and, you know, all, we weren't, weren't even out of the one lockout, and people were already talking about the next potential lockout. You right, know? So right, yes. I started to think, okay, well, I've got to find some other way to supplement my income, and, and photography is all I've ever known. So all the jobs I've ever held, and um, so I thought, okay, well, what, what can I do? What do I know, and, and what do I love? Um, and that's my, my wildlife. So I slowly started to pursue it a little bit further, a little bit deeper. Um, and that's when, when things started to kind of slowly ramp up um, back in, you know, five. And then, uh, as I said, I started doing more of it. And then we had another lockout a few years after that, and, and I started to do a little bit more of it. And then, um, as I said, I... The landscape of my sports had changed. Um, the landscape of the leagues had changed, and the politics had changed, and everything. So, I started to find myself not doing near the amount of uh, sports that I was doing in the past. Um, a big part of that was the NHL had decided to go after that first bucket. They they moved into what they call a team photo program, where all the member clubs of the National Hockey League have a team photographer that 
contributes to, to the pool of photography that the league owns. So instead of just being me kind of traveling all over the place, they now have this pool of, of 30 photographers and I have one plus myself. Um, so that meant a lot less travel for me over, over time. And, um, you know, I went from doing 125 games a year on average to 100 to 80 to 60, you know, and so on. So <clears throat> back in, in 2015, um, you know, it was, it was sort of the first time in my career that I found I, I wasn't doing the start of the playoffs, you know, and I had very few games left on my regular season schedule. And um, my sister lives in Australia, so I had uh, planned a trip to Australia and, and brought my gear with me. And, and that particular year, um, I had also decided to invest in water housing gear because uh, I wanted to step up, you know, my nature of photography and take things to a different level and, and try and do something different that not a lot of people around here anyway in, in, in southern Ontario were doing, and that's right, right. Uh, ocean photography. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so 2015 was a big year where, uh, or as I say, I, I you know, I went to Australia and, um, and, uh, I had, um, as I said, I'd invested in this, in my water housing gear from Aquatech and never been in the ocean with it or anything. So I had, you know, basically, uh, reached out to another photographer, uh, Warren Keeling, uh, based in Wollongong, Australia. He, I was a fan of his work and he's an ocean photographer. So, Message him through Instagram. He agreed to meet with me and, and kind of give me a, an idea of some places to go and shoot and whatnot. And, you know, he had said to me originally, I've, I've got like a half hour or so that I can chat with you at lunch. And, and I ended up being in his gallery for about three and a half hours. It just clicked really well. And that evening, you know, I found myself out in the ocean shooting with him, you know, and that was my first venture with a camera into the ocean. And, um, that sort of uh, changed everything from then on. Um, you know, it just opened up this whole new world to me uh, in my photography. Um, so, yeah, then uh, that particular year, um, you know, I, I, I was actually supposed to go to South Australia to photograph Great White Sharks as well uh, for the first time. And um, that unfortunately ended up being... Uh, canceled or postponed um, at the time. I'd been trying for a couple of years, actually, to, to get there and, and have this opportunity to, to dive with white sharks. It's something I've wanted to do since I was a little kid. Um, I've always had this fascination with them. So, um, as I say, it, it was canceled a few times for various reasons, uh, some crazy things, um, you know, like just the sharks, not not being around for whatever reason and, and you know it's it was kind of an unusual thing for them to not be around um it, it, you know the the company calypso charters that i dive with they keep a, a log record of everything and um the first year that i was supposed to go i think uh they hadn't really gone much more than, than seven to ten days without seeing sharks and, and they were going like now you know, a couple of months without seeing sharks. So oh. I, I was a little distraught thinking like, oh, just my luck type thing. And, 
but anyhow, that all eventually worked out. It was meant to be. Um, and then the next year, I think it was killer whales that come through and they killed a shark, and that canceled the opportunity for me. So it was it was 2016 before I, I got to uh, to dive with the sharks, and um, and and as I say, that was that was an eye opening experience, which you know it was never a bucket list thing for me. It was just it was the beginning of something new for me and, um, you know, to have that opportunity to do that with my son Warren Keelan as well for the first time was, was pretty incredible because as I say, we, um, you know, we met the year before and, and, uh, formed a pretty tight bond and, and, you know, been a lot of places to shoot a lot of things together. And that was a pretty special thing to, to experience with him. But, um, but yeah, I, I, you know, I came back to Canada that year in 2015 and um, having the experience in the ocean and knowing that there was um, uh, something close by me that I wanted to shoot and kind of wanted to shoot for some time, but I just didn't have the right gear to do it. And that was Lake Erie and, and uh, the big waves that you can get during the, the kind of fall, winter storm season. Um, and, uh, I, I hadn't been in the water in a long time and I was kind of itching and to, to get in the water and, and have an opportunity to shoot some waves. And so I, I prepared myself to, you know, for the Lake Erie storm season, um, that year. And, and uh, you know, I, I didn't know like what I was going to capture. Like I said, so I know what the lake gets like down there. It can get pretty violent and get some pretty insanely big waves for the lake. And, uh, I remember the first day that I did it, my, my parents actually were in Australia at the time, and, and I was driving home from Lake Erie and talking to my father on the phone, and he asked me if I thought I'd got anything interesting. And I was like, yeah. I said, they're really cool. It's really dark, kind of, uh, you know, moody uh, tone to these images. And I'm like, I like them. They're really cool, but I'm not sure, you know, how well people will like them. Because most people, when you talk about, waves you know they're into the nice curling waves right yes right blues, you know the blues and the turquoise and things like that not these angry gnarly looking waves and um little did i know that a few weeks later uh you know i kind of laugh at that first conversation with my dad thinking that people like them because uh what had happened is i i started you know posted a started posting them on the social media and the, the interest really grew over a couple of weeks, and then I was encouraged by my friend Warren to do a piece for Bird Panda, the website. I put a piece on there, and it basically went viral in about a 48 hour period. And that completely uh, transformed my career, basically. That, that, that was the beginning moment, I guess, of the, the, the real transformation of going from my sports to my nature and wildlife. Now, for, for those of you who are listening, if you haven't seen these images, which are insanely amazing, I will put the link to the Board Panda uh, blog entry uh, in the show notes so you can check it out. Because, um, I mean, what's what I've always what I find fascinating about like this part of your work versus the animal part of your work is these are almost impossible to describe without seeing them. Like the, the, because, well, because like the movement and the violence and the color, like words really fail miserably when you look at, at, at the stuff that you did with that piece. It's, I mean, 
I know you don't need somebody to tell you that it's incredible, but I mean, it's incredible. Thank you. And, but what's interesting, um, but what's interesting, Dave, is like, I actually came to the Lake Erie project second. The first thing I saw from you was, um, probably four years ago was the great white shark going vertical. Um, and the, the ocean is almost completely black. I think it's like eating some like tuna guts or whatever. That was the first image I ever saw of you. And I, I thought immediately, um, one, I would love to get you on this podcast. So it's very cool that you're taking some time to talk to me. And two, that might be the coolest shark photo I'd ever seen in my life. And, and a little bit of context for you, because we obviously we don't know each other at all. When I was a kid, um, my grandfather had a copy of the book Jaws. And so like I, I read mm-hmm. it one summer and um, I thought the shark was the hero of that book. And then when I saw the movie, I was almost convinced that, like, well, if somebody kept trying to break into my house and take my stuff, that's probably how I would write. So, like, for me, the shark, Bruce, in the movie, right, would, was, like, the first anti-hero I had connected to. And I was just mesmerized by this animal. And after that, around that time, and I, I think you and I are similar in age, you know, there was the the specials with Jacques Cousteau and then his kids and all of that. So it was before Shark Week yeah. was a thing. So I was always scrambling to find documentaries and because the stuff wasn't like it is now where I can just Google Dave Sanford and see a thousand photos of great white sharks. You had to like seek this stuff out and exactly, you know, to see your work and what I, what I am blown away. And I want to talk about the Australia, uh, not not the Australia trip. I want to talk to you about the Alaska trip in a second, but you get this character out of these creatures that I have never seen before. And so that first time you're in the water and in, in your blog post where you're talking about it, you talk about all the struggles of like maintaining your balance, but eventually you clearly find your voice underwater. Can you talk about what that whole process is like? Because your, your eye and the story you're telling with these images is d- unlike, I mean, just about any photographer I've, I've seen. Wow. Um, that's, that's pretty incredible of you to say. Thank you. I mean, um, I, dude, I, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like, that photo of that great white shark is probably the coolest image I've ever seen. And, and you put it up again this year for Shark Week. And every time I see it, I'm like, yeah, that thing is just sublime. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. Um, that, that, that means a lot. Um, yeah, that, that very first time, um, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget that feeling. Like, you know, we, first of all, with nature, there's never any guarantees. You know, we can <laughs> right. yesterday. we're going shark diving, um, but obviously, there's in the big place, and, and, you know, they don't, don't ring a dinner bell and, and the sharks show up, you know. And like I say, there's never any guarantees. And I'd already had a couple of seasons where I was in Australia, and everything was just canceled because the sharks just weren't around. Um, so, you know, finally getting out there, um, you, you're this sort of nervous ball of energy um, because it's, it's excited nervousness, I guess. You know, you're... And it's not, not nervous about, like, you know, getting in a cage and being in the water. It's, it's the nervousness of, well, what if we don't see them shut? You know, come all this way, finally, this is happening, but... You know, as I say, the nerves for me stem from like, well, what if the worst case happens and we don't see any sharks? Sure. So, um, that very first day, we, um, it's about a three hour 
or so trip out, depending on, on conditions. But it's about a three-hour trip out to the Neptune Islands. Um, four hours if you're going on further to, um, like, there's the north and south Neptune Islands. And, 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 yeah. it, it's it's three hours, basically, to one of the three islands and four hours to the other. This particular day, we went to the north Neptunes, which is a little bit further. So about four hours out there, we were there for all of about five minutes. And, um, and uh, our captain was sort of giving a, a little briefing um, on the back deck. And uh, while he was giving that briefing, five minutes in, a, a white shark surfaced. And that was, that was my very first sighting of a white shark. So I was like, okay, great. There's, there's at least one around, you know, that was a bit of a relief. Um, but still, you, you want to see them from the, the underside of the water. That's what you're there for. And uh, so, yeah, climbing down into that, that cage, um, you know, for that first time a few minutes after that, um, like I say, I'll never forget that looking straight out in front of me and then sort of just emerging like a, a phantom under the shadows, just kind of out of nowhere, this white shark that was, you know, sort of, in front and below me that started to slowly swim up towards us and uh, came straight up to the cage and kind of curled away. And, you know, and, and when all this was happening, I, you know, I just felt this warm sensation uh, on my skin underneath my mask and I just, I was crying. Like, it just, you know, all this emotion just hit me of, you know, 40 some plus years of wanting to. <laughs> experience this and then here I was finally, you know, getting to do that and um and with with a camera as well. So um and and yeah, like like you touched on there, uh what blew me away was how difficult it was, you know, like I came out of the water and first of all it's just an awe. And and then the second thing was, you know, I, I turned to around and both of us were sort of like Wow, like whole new level of respect for guys that have been doing this all along because right. <laughs> we were both like, this is way harder than we had ever anticipated. Um, you know, there's, and, and for us too, I mean, granted, it was a pretty slow day um, that first time that we were out there. Uh, so that, you know, we've got a significant swell, the cage is rocking because you're close to the surface of the water. and you know, and, and, and obviously the sharks are moving, we're moving, the cage is moving. Um, you know, there's a whole new element to shooting in the water when you're, you know, you've got a mask on. So you, you normally you're obviously looking to the back viewfinder of your camera, and, you know, it's right up at your eye. Well, now you've got your camera, which is in a housing, and then you've got like a half inch of, of um, you know, the, the back of your housing, a clear, you know, uh, cover to that, and then you've got your mask that you have to look through. So it was extremely difficult to compose um, images. Um, you know, there was a little bit of guessing and, and kind of, you know, shooting blindly going on that very first uh, first time. Um, you know, and as I say, all those elements coming together just, just make it really, really difficult. So I was... You know, when I think about it, I was amazed I got anything from that very first day. Um, <laughs> and, and that first year, you know, things got better with each with each dive, that's for sure. And then, 
as time has evolved and the years have gone on now, um, like anything, I think you just tend to, to get better and better because you learn from your mistakes and your experiences and things like that. So, you know, I'm, I'm invested in a free diver's mask, which is a lower profile to your face, so it allows me to get my face closer to the camera. Um, you know, Aquatech as well has come out with the newer housing since then, which um, I used this past year, which, which allows me, again, to get a little bit closer to my, the back of the camera and uh, allows me to actually look through it and compose the images, um, you know, by, by investing in, in a free dive mask and um, and then just your abilities under the water to, um, you know, to maneuver in the cage and, and obviously just, you know, observing your subjects as in the sharks and, and learning more about them. Like you have watched so many documentaries growing up and reading books and things like that, but there's nothing that beats the experience of just being there and observing the animals in their environment. And so you get to, to learn um you know, kind of what to expect and, and what to expect in different days with different conditions. And um, and then, you know, when you're fortunate enough actually to get to photograph um, some of the same sharks, uh, not only day after day, but even year after year. Um, been fortunate enough that some of the sharks have returned at the same time of the year as I have. Uh, you get to know their personalities just from, you know, the being in the water and observing them. So just like people, um, it's just like, you know, different personalities and they all behave differently. So some are skittish and some are curious and some are inquisitive and, you know, they, they all behave in a different way. So the, the more time you spend with them, the more you sort of realize what their habits are and, you know, how they're going to be in the water and, and it allows you to anticipate moves a little bit better. You're not going to be able to anticipate everything because it's a shark and they're fast and <laughs> they're a predator and they're stealthy and um, you know. So when they do go into that um, predation mode where they're they're trying to hit the boat, uh, you know, you you can have all your, the eyes you want on them, and as soon as they sort of disappear, it's like okay, where are they coming from now? And sometimes. You know, they, they might disappear for 30 seconds. Sometimes it might be five minutes. Sometimes it might be 10. And then all of a sudden, boom, it just comes out of nowhere. And, uh, and like a 25 mile an hour torpedo, you know. And it's just, so like I say, you know, you can predict, predict or anticipate to a certain degree or a small degree, but um, there's also a very large part of it that, you know, is, is unpredictable. So. Uh, it's, it's always a challenge no matter what, um, you know, and then there's, there's other things like, uh, the silver trevelli that are in the water and in the South Neptunes, um, and, uh, and the kingfish and things like that. Uh, some days they're minimal. Other days it feels like there's a billion of them. <laughs> a wall of them. So it's like, I know there's a shark out there somewhere, but I can't see it because of this wall of trevelli in front of me. Um, just super annoying. Um, you know, and there's things like water clarity, you know, that all depends on the, the direction of the swell and, and, um, you know, and the swell itself. And so conditions are always changing cloudy days, rainy days, sunny days. Um, so all those, you know, come into play and, and have diff different challenges on different days depending on 
what you're trying to accomplish. And so you just got back from Alaska, what did you say, two weeks ago? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and which is, is a, was a different subject, right? We're, we're now shooting bears. You've shot a ton of polar bears, but I think this is the first time you've shot brown bears. Yes. That I see. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So what, what was the, like, walk me through the, the difference between the shoot. But before we get there, I, I again want to focus on an image and I will, I'll put the link in the show notes. The image of Myron again speaks to like the way in which your brain works. Like that shot is stunning. Um, and so how long are you in Alaska to get these shots and, and kind of what, what was the, for you, what's, is there a difference between shooting brown bears outside of snow versus wilderness, right? Is there a difference between shooting brown and polar? Like, and do you like, which one was easier? Which one do you prefer? I mean, these look like insanely amazing images. So I, I would guess that, you know, this one might be the thing that's your favorite the second, but that might change. I don't know. <laughs> Um, well, I can honestly say I didn't, I didn't realize, um, I guess how much I was going to love shooting the brown bears. Um, I, I mean, I knew I was going to love it. Um, again, there's, they're another animal that my entire life I've wanted the opportunity to see and photograph. There's basically four animals that were in that category for me. And that was white sharks, black bears, polar bears, and grizzly bears, or brown bears, which are just another, another name for a grizzly bear, for three bears of you that don't know. Grizzly bears, there's Kodiaks, brown bears, grizzly bears. They're all the same thing, just, uh, you know, um, just different titles for different areas they live in. So just to clarify for people. Um, so, yeah, I've wanted to go to Alaska since I was a kid. Um, just, you know, from, from like you watching documentaries and things like that. Just looked like this incredible wilderness with amazing wild rice. And, um, you know, it was just one of those places that I had always wanted to go and experience. And, uh, Again, it took me a long time to get there, but it was worth the wait. And um, so, yeah, it, it, this trip sort of was something that was a long time coming, and, and I just needed, you know, the right opportunity at the right time, and that, that happened to be, you know, this past August. And, um, and again, for me, it's not a bucket list thing. Um, this is the beginning of a, well, another chapter, I guess you would say. Because uh, I will be going back to Alaska to to continue to photograph brown bears. Well, and, um, and I think that's a perfect way to describe your work because each of them does feel like it's a story encapsulated in a chapter. Right? It doesn't have a beginning or an end. This is just the I don't know. It wasn't a day, but like yeah. like this is just a day with brown bears, right? And this is a day right, with humpback right. whales. And here's all these amazing photos. Um, yeah. So I think that's an awesome way to describe your work because that's exactly what it feels like. It's like here's today's story. Well, that's yeah, that's, that's very cool to hear. Because so, I, I know a lot of people, you know, I get that question a lot. A lot of people are like, okay, so you've done that, what's next? And it's like, well, I, I don't necessarily want to travel the world and photograph as many different animals as I can. Um, what I think I, I've, you know, the way things have evolved for me is I think I have a few animals that I, I love and I cherish, and I love all animals, but 
is the ones that are really near and dear to my heart. And I think that I've learned over the, the last few years that I have this this skill, this talent, and the way that I'm, you know, sort of the state of our planet right now and, and our environment, and, and um, there's so many animals that um, are are in need of our our help, and, and, and they're in need of our help because it's a situation that we as human beings have put the, the planet and all these other species um, it's our, essentially our fault. Well, we are where we are, and, and so rather than going around the world and trying to photograph every single animal out there, and, and you know, have a, a little bit of content on on everything, I'm like, well, why not focus on the animals that I love the most? And that way, I can tell a story, and that way, you know, I can do some potentially do some good for them or do some good for their the region that they live in and the environment, you know, the environment they need to thrive in. So, um, so I've chosen, you know, and, and when I say chosen, I guess I, I'm listening to my heart as well as my head. Um, and and the, these animals that I love, that I say that I love, like the white shark, the polar bear, the grizzly bear, and, and the humpback whale, um, all these animals are, are you know, they're, they're iconic animals that are recognized around the world, anywhere that you go. And they're all animals that either need our help. They, they all need our help, I think. You know, like humpbacks have made a strong comeback. White sharks have made a strong comeback. Grizzly bears have made a strong comeback. Um, polar not so much. But um, just because they've made comebacks doesn't mean that we can relax things, you know. Like, sure, yeah, yeah planet's facing a lot of changes and, and these animals I think are going to need our help in the future more than ever. Um, so if I can use my skill set to bring some awareness to the table to do some fundraising, um, whatever it may be, um, you know, it, even if it's just school children that are seeing my pictures that just like I did when I was a kid, fall in love with them and, want to grow up and be involved with conservation while in my eyes then I'm doing something right. So, um, and it's been awesome to hear over the years that I, I know that that's happening. That's a case of, of what's happening. I'm getting friends or, or people that I don't know that, you know, email me and, and message me and say, you know, that over the last few years, you know, my kids have been growing up looking at your images and they want to grow up to, you know, to be involved in conservation or be a photographer or work with animals, something like that. So it's, it's really cool to hear that stuff. So, so I know that I'm having an impact, um, which is, is something that is super important. And, and to me, it's, it is, it's, it's a super cool feeling to have to know that you're, you know, the work that I'm doing is, is, is doing some good, you know, um, a different feeling than I ever got from sports. People with your sports stuff and they're like, oh my gosh, that's so cool. You know, it's, it's wicked, but um, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't quite give you the same feeling that the, the wildlife stuff does, I guess. You know, it's, it's a bit of a different feeling. So, so yeah, to go back to Alaska, um, as I say, it was just, this is the beginning of a new chapter. Um, and, uh, and the first opportunity to, to document grizzly bears and, 
and especially these bears of, of this region of Katmai National Park and Preserve um, in the Alaska Peninsula. This is a region that's a, it's a real hot topic right now because they're potentially facing something that is extremely disastrous, and that's the pebble mine going in there. Um, it's you know it's been talked about for years, but it's really come to the forefront, and um, there's been a lot of, of um, you know people protesting against it and um, petitions and things like that, and, and and the voices are being heard. You know. Um, Things are being voted on, and, and hopefully, you know, we're going to have uh, a positive decision for the, the region and the salmon and the animals and um, the environment um, coming up relatively soon. But if, uh, if, you know, things go the way that we don't want, it could be disastrous for the region. It could be disastrous for the salmon run. Um, it could be disastrous for the bears and, and a lot of other animals in that area. So... So by being there, you know, with all this going on, again, I feel like um, I'm, I'm able to use my skill set and my photography animals in this area to show people the beauty of, of this region and show people the beautiful animals that thrive in this region and have for thousands of years, you know, where it's been untouched by, by humans, basically. And, and, you know, if this, you know, mine goes in there, then... It, can be an, it, it would be an absolute disaster to to all the living things in this region, and, and it would change it forever. So, um, so it's important for me to, you know, sort of to be a voice for the voiceless, I guess you would say. You sure. Um, grizzly bears and polar bears and whales and sharks can't stand up for themselves, and they can't voice their, you know, their their, their tr- troubles and their concerns. So. You know, I, I feel like that's part of my job. That you know, it is, I, I'm I'm so fortunate to be able to work and, and thrive and, and make a living in, in, in their environment and by um, creating images and selling images of them. So it, it's it's a way in which any conservation that I can do and any awareness and um, fundraising and things like that. It's my way of, of helping give back to, to what is allowing me to, to make a way of living, you know. Um, to, it's my way of sort of saying thank you for allowing me to sort of uh, thrive and, and, and live in, and share this environment with them, you know. Um, so it's it's nice to be able to have that feeling of being able to, to at least contribute something back, to, you know, that's positive. And clearly the work that you're doing is, is making a huge impact. And, and I wonder if that's a bit of your superpower, right? Because you're, you're shooting animals that you're interested in, which produce these stunning images. And I guess, you know, kind of a, I guess, sort of a business question. Like, how have you been able to do that, right? To pick projects. Like, you're clearly, you're hired to do this stuff, but it's the stuff you want to do. And, and I think um, that's a really interesting formula that a lot of people have trouble unlocking and I'm wondering if you have any sort of insight into how you were able to unlock that so you can do the projects that you want to do make the impact you want to make and still make a living uh, it's not easy um, you know like I, I think I think a lot of people are um, mm. like 
I don't know. I, I, I seem to think or I what I've found over the years and, and is, is a lot of people think photographers full time photographers make more than they do. <laughs> uh, you know, I've always said I'm I'm never gonna get wealthy doing what I'm doing. I'm I'm gonna make a good living. Um but I'm you know, I'm not gonna get you know, wealthy in the monetary sense of doing what I'm doing. Um, it, I do what I do because I love it. I've never done it because of the money. Um, obviously, we all have to make a living so we need to make money. And, um, and it's not easy in photography, you know. It's, it's especially in the freelance world, it's, it's a roller coaster all the time. Um, you have highs and you have lows. Sometimes things are firing on all cylinders and, um, you know, you're getting all these assignments and you're making all kinds of sales and things are just on a real high. And then, and then you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, it's it sort of, things can come crashing down, you know, and then it's like you, you have assignments that maybe potentially got canceled, you know, which happens. Um, you know, budgets are slashed or... Um, you know, but just when we're talking about nature and wildlife, things happen where you can show up somewhere and, and nothing is there for you to shoot, you know, and the subjects you, you're looking for aren't around. Um, there's all kinds of things that happen and, and, you know, sales just, you know, seem to drop and, as I say, just hills and valleys and, and I learned early on that you know, if you sort of stay the course that, you know, you work hard and, and eventually you're going to come out of those valleys and, and you're going to reach the peaks. And, um, you know, and, and when you are at the peak of things and things are really rolling, like, just sort of you have to take as much as you can, take it when you can and, and do what you, you know, you can with what you've got. Because, like I say, you just never know what's going to happen. I've had I've had health issues. I've had injuries that have prevented me from getting on the road. Um, as I say, you have, you know, you, you, you might have work booked months, even a year in advance, and then all of a sudden, something beyond your control, you know, prevents that assignment from from happening. So these things happen, and um, and I think you just as long as you're strong enough to weather the storms, then um, that you'll thrive in the industry and. Um, because, it, as I say, it's just one of those things where it is competitive. Um, it's an exciting career. It's it's fun. It's you know I I I love what I do, and when I'm out there in the field and and like I, I'm I'm not working, you know. I'm just I'm enjoying my life and doing something that I love to do, and and to be paid to do that is I mean it's the ultimate. Um, and, you know, not every single aspect of it is amazing. There's, there's travel days from hell, um, (laughs) travel, travel, you know, day that a travel day that might turn into days, you know, like I've, I've, you know, I've been stranded places, I've been stuck places and you can't get out and, um, you know, flights canceled and having to be rebooked and, going to different countries as a result just, just to try and make your way home, you know? Um, and, and those are the times that, that 
absolutely suck and they're frustrated and they're, you know, they just want to be home and, um, you know, and, and then there's things like Alaska where it's like, I will get people when I am home saying, oh, that's so nice, you don't have to work. And it's like, well, I'm, I'm still working when I'm home. You know, I have a, there's, there's the shooting and then there's the business side of things and the processing side of things. And so there's lots to do when you're home. Um, but I'll get people to say, oh, that's so nice, you're home, you know, you don't have to work and do this. And, you know, I haven't been on an assignment in, in a few weeks. Well, then I go to Alaska and I spent in, in seven days in the bush, I spent 87 hours in seven days in the field, you know, getting to sleep for four and a half to five and a half hours a night and walking, you know, 12 to, to 15 kilometers a day and with 50 to 60 pounds of gear in your back and you don't get to shower for a week and you're sleeping in a, in a tent where it goes down to freezing conditions at night and you know, it's it's not the easiest of working conditions. <laughs> right. right. Um, you know, so, and not every assignment is like that, but I just, it, those times where, you know, you're hiking back to camp after being out there for 15 hours and you stink and you're hot and you're sweaty and you notice that the sun breaks that, that horizon that it's going to go from being hot and sweaty to cold really quickly. And you've got all this gear on your back and you're like, and, and you hear those, those voices or those people that echo in your head that, that say to you like, Oh, it must be nice to maybe just sit there and push the button and, you know, or you, you'd be like, oh, you didn't have to work for a few weeks. And, you know, and it's like, well, no, I didn't work for two weeks, but I, you know, I just crammed more than two weeks worth of work into if you want to talk hours, you know, right. Right. Like so, and then I think I've, I've, since I've returned from Alaska, I've probably spent more than 87 hours in the two weeks, um, you know, just going through the work and, and processing and, and, you know, getting stuff out to clients and doing things like that. So it's, um, you know, there, there's even double the workload, more than double the workload I would find when you come back from, you know, a particular assignment. So it's, it's a never-ending process, um, but it's something that I love to do too. So absolutely, and so you know, I want to be mindful of your time, so I want to leave you with um, one and a half last questions. Uh, you know, I know you don't call it <laughs> you don't call it a bucket list; you call it chapters. Is there a chapter, um, like a place on Earth that you want to go to shoot these animals animals that you haven't been to yet? Is there that you'd love to get in before the end of the year or in twenty twenty? Is there a place that should be a next chapter? Well, I guess there's two places. Um, I, I really want to get to Africa. Um, you know, I just, I, I've always, you know, like I said, I've loved all animals and everything. Um, and a lot of people talk about, you know, Africa is, is, is the ultimate type thing for a lot of wildlife photographers. For me, it's, I've been fortunate enough now that I've got to, I think, what are my most ultimate places in and for me, the, the subject that I've wanted to photograph most in this world, I've, I've had the opportunity to do that now. Um, so to have the opportunity to go to Africa and, and shoot something like, you know, lions and hyenas and wildebeest or elephants and giraffes, things like that, it would be amazing. And I would love to do it. And, and the, 
gentleman that I just went to Alaska with to, to photograph the bears with, uh, Graham Purdy. Um, Graham uh, specializes in African wildlife. And uh, he, he wants me to come to Africa to do a safari with him. And, and I will. Um, and I'll probably find myself, I, I would think, in Africa more than once, um, you know, once it happens. But um, it's a place that, for me, is probably the, you know, one yeah. of those places that's high on that list of, like, okay, I've got to get there. Because um, I also want to do all seven continents. Um, I have two left, I have Africa and Asia left. Um, so it would be great to have a, an opportunity to, to do something in some in both those places. Um, you know, to, to reach my seven continents <laughs> and, uh, you know, and photograph some, some wildlife that I haven't necessarily had the opportunity to do so before. Um, you know, like I say, it would be, it'd be cool, but I, it's, for me, I, I you know, I, I still want to continue to focus on, on white sharks and polar bears, grizzlies, humpbacks, and things like that. So, um, I won't have other opportunities, but I, 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 those will always be, I think, my priority. Which leads me to my, my last question. Um, obviously, you've had a bunch of great white shark photos used in the shot on iPhone campaign, so I wanted to know um, how the iPhone 11 is. Well, I haven't, I haven't actually uh, got, got one yet. Um, I did did find out uh, last night um, that uh, if I was around on this coming Monday, I would have been able to, to get mine in my hands uh, a few days before it's actually out. Um, but I, I've got an assignment coming up uh, in, in Atlantic Canada, so uh, I, I have to wait until the 20th. <laughs> Uh, but I, I am. I found out I'm getting one. I'm very excited That's awesome. um, because, it's, as I said to um, you know, my contact with them uh, last night when, when we were talking, I was like, the I, my iPhone has become a regular tool in my kit. You know, it, it started off as as a phone that I thought was a great phone that had a really good camera, and over time the you know, they've worked on it, they, it's evolved to the point where it's an important part of my kit now. It's always on me, and with what they've done over the years with the, the camera for both film and video and, and what it looks like, they've jumped another level um, with the iPhone 11. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to use it. And I, and I do, I use it a lot. Um, you know, especially the video capabilities on it. Um, it's super quick. It's convenient. Yeah. It's easy, and the quality is fantastic. And yeah. we are excited to see what you make with it, my friend. Dave, thank you so much for the time. Uh, if people want to catch up with you, is the best place to do it the website davesanfordphotos.com. Um, well, yeah, I would say the best place if you want to remain current is my Instagram. Instagram. Um, so just Dave Sanford. It's just my name, Dave Sanford, S-A-N-D-F-O-R-D. Thank you, dude, for the time, and uh, have a wonderful week. And again, can't wait to see what you make next. All right. Thank you so much, Eric.